Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. Once again, my name is Jared. I'm your host for this podcast, as well as one of the pastors at Life Church Canton. And uh, we are in a series, a sermon series called "This Is Us," and it's a series where we've talking, we've been talking specifically about our culture at Life Church and what makes us us. And it's not just something we've made up; it's something that has sort of been developed over time, um, as well as our understanding of who God is calling us to be. And so we talk a little bit more about that. Um, this is going to be the. I guess technically the third and fourth installment of this series because I talk about two of our codes, Relentless Pursuit of One More and Whatever It Takes, Wherever It Takes Us. So I guess it's two sermons all in one. If you are a regular subscriber, thank you so much for listening to this and supporting uh, Life Church in the Canton, or sorry, in the work that we get to be a part of in Canton and around the surrounding area. Um, I would love for you to prayerfully consider giving to Life Church as well. Um, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, uh, sort of talks about this idea that we live generously, that we give uh, to what God is doing. And so if you consider Life Church Canton your home, I'd love to invite you to be part of that. And so you can find out how to do that by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. And uh, thank you so much for considering a contribution and an investment in the work that we get to be a part of. So without further ado, uh, here is me uh, with our uh, continued series, This Is Us, Relentless Pursuit of One More and Whatever It Takes, Wherever It Takes Us. If you're here in the room and if you're at home, you're probably already sitting, so that's totally fine. And if you're listening to the podcast, you're either driving, sitting, standing, I don't know what you're doing, maybe working out. Uh, This is a good sermon to work out to, I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared Van Voorst, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so grateful that you are here with us. Uh, No matter the cost, no matter what it's taken uh, for you to get here, and for those of you who are watching online or listening later online, uh, we're glad you're engaging with us as well. We have been in a series called Pumpkin Spice Latte. No, I'm kidding. We are in a series called This Is Us. This Is Us, and it's part two, uh, 102 or 201, I should say, of last year's series that we did called This Is Us, where we talked about our codes, and if you're here in the room, you can see them on our walls, and we've talked about two codes so far, but there's a reason why we talk about these codes. They sort of define our culture, but even more specifically, If you were here a couple weeks ago when Pastor Nathan gave us this message about you belong and talked about what our codes are all about, he said this, they give us meaning to who we have been, they give us purpose to who we are now, and they drive us to who we are becoming. So whether this is your first time here, your second time here, or you've been here a million times, uh, this is what we're about. And so it's good for us to talk about this because, as he also said, Pastor Nathan said, sometimes it leaks, sometimes vision leaks, and we forget about who we are and whose we are, and so this helps us to stay aligned. So I'm glad you're with us. If you are here for the very first time, maybe the second time, make sure that you connect with us because that's a big piece of what it means to belong. Now, today we're going to be talking about two more codes. I have to talk about two of them, uh, and so hopefully we're going to get this done within a couple hours. 
Uh, I'm kidding. It's, it's gonna be, you're going to be out of here on time, I promise. But we're going to talk about two codes uh, that get us excited. Now, before I talk about those, I want to just share a couple things with you. Uh, have you seen this story? I want to show you a picture. Have you seen this story of uh, this kid on a balanced bike in a driveway, and he's riding on this racetrack? There's a story that goes that this guy... Uh, has a camera out on his garage, out on his, um, his driveway, and he's monitoring, you know, obviously what's going on in his neighborhood, and every once in a while there's this kid, in, in fact, every day this kid and his family go for a walk, and this kid is on his balance bike, and for whatever reason he stops in this driveway and goes around and, and, and rides around, and then they move on and continue on their walk. Well, this guy decided, you know what, let's have a little bit of fun with it. Let's have some fun with this, and so what he decides to do is he draws a racetrack on his driveway so that later on when the kid comes back, he can come and he can ride on the racetrack. Now, the first time he does this, the kid shows up and he stops and he thinks about it for just a second and looks at this driveway and he's like, oh my goodness, challenge accepted. I have a racetrack. Here we go. So he rides around the racetrack and he has a blast and the guy gets it all on video and he's able to watch it back and he records it and then he shows it online. But then this continues to unfold. He continues to make this race track more elaborate, and then eventually adults get involved, and they're riding on this track, and it's just a blast, and this video gets captured and goes viral. And it goes viral in a pandemic when people are trying to figure out how to be creative, how to be inventive, how to get by, how to experience joy. There's certain people that just seem to go the extra mile, don't they? And it, they do it out of their own joy. It's not a duty or a sense of obligation. They just want to experience joy for themselves, but also for others as well. Let me ask you a question. Do you know people like this? Do you know people that go that extra mile for joy? Not just their own joy, but for the joy of others. Do you know people like this? If you're watching online, just put the name of somebody down in the comments so that they know that you see them as a person that just loves to go the extra mile to spread joy. You pursue it. They do whatever it takes to go after this joy, and this joy is contagious. That's kind of a weird adjective to use in a pandemic. I recognize that, uh, but it's something that is infectious, that we want it to infect us. We want to experience this joy as well. Do you know people like this? They just make life better, don't they? The codes that we're talking about, we're talking about two codes, and it captures this idea. Like I said, if you're in the room, you can see them on the wall, relentless pursuit of one more, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Now, for those of us on staff, we've been living with these codes for a little over a year now, and uh, these are the longest codes that we have, so it takes a really long time to say them. So uh, we on staff have affectionately referred to them as Arpoom and Witwitu. You don't have to remember that for later on. I'm just telling you, if, I, if that slips out of my mouth, there's a reason for it. I'm not just speaking in tongues. So relentless pursuit of one more, Arpoom, whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. They're sort of two sides of the same coin. Now, you've probably seen this. We're at a coin shortage right now in America. I don't know why. I, I guess I haven't really researched why we're at a coin shortage right now. But I thought about this. We have a coin for you, and you're going to have to forgive the amateur artwork. And if you're following us on Instagram or Facebook, you've seen this. But I have myself a coin. Here we go, two sides of the same coin. And uh, we've got relentless pursuit of one more. On one side, we've got 
Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us on the other side. Now, this is kind of like a penny. Uh, obviously, that's not Abraham Lincoln. It's Jesus. Uh, there's no reason for that. Don't read into that. I just thought, you know, we're at a church, so we're talking about Jesus, so Jesus is on my coin. Anyway, Arpum, relentless pursuit of one more. Let's talk about this one just real briefly. What is this about? What does it mean to relentlessly pursue one more? Relentless pursuit of one more is this idea that we at Life Church, we go after people. We go after people. It's evangelistic. Now, if you were here for our series called Sticking to the Gospel, we talked about this word evangelism, evangelistic, evangelize. All of it comes from this Greek word, euangelion, which means good news. Good news. We are like this, good news broadcasters. We broadcast good news. We evangelize. We go after people. Now, I don't want you to confuse that uh, with some images that might get conjured up, especially if you're newer to church. You might, some, you might have some ideas of what that means to go after people, to pursue one more. I don't want you to confuse it with this idea of standing on a street corner and yelling at people and telling them that they're going to hell because of a, of a particular sin that they engage in. That's not good news. That's not evangelism. That's not what we mean by relentless pursuit of one more. No, we go after people out of love to share good news, to share news of hope in the midst of brokenness. It's evangelistic, which means it's good news. And also people, when we say we go after people, people are not projects. They're people. Relentless pursuit of one more. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. But the other side of this coin, two sides of the same coin, is whatever it takes wherever it takes us. It's similar but different. It's this idea that we serve the needs of people, of others, of everybody, whatever the cost may be. And there is a cost associated with whatever it takes, whatever, wherever it takes us. It costs us something. That's that word takes. It takes something from us, whether it's emotionally, relationally, spiritually, mentally, and even financially. This one takes something from us. It can be evangelistic in the way that we live out the reality of good news, whereas relentless pursuit of one more is where we get to share about good news. We get to speak into the lives of people. Now, here's a really, really important part. Please don't miss this. We've talked about two codes already. You belong and encounter Jesus. If we don't get those right, then these get really weird maybe even a little bit destructive. Here's what I mean by that. If we don't understand what it means to belong, and if we don't understand what it means to encounter Jesus, and if those haven't taken root in our hearts, in our lives, then these get off track. And then evangelism does start to look like beating people over the head with a Bible and just saying, come to Jesus. Or whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, looks like just us burning out for no good reason at all. That's not what this is about. That's why Nathan preached a message about you belong. You belong and said certain sins don't preclude you from certain people belonging to Jesus. That's why Daniel preached on encountering Jesus and specified what Jesus we're talking about because everybody's got an idea of what Jesus looks like. So it's important that we understand you belong and encounter Jesus so that we also understand what it means to relentlessly pursue one more. Let's talk about that one. Let's talk about this side of the coin. 
When we look at Jesus, we see his relentless pursuit of one more. And I want you to uh, look at this. If you brought a Bible this morning or if you're at home and you're listening online, uh, you can engage in this as well. We're in Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you're brand new to church, you're brand new to us, that's entirely okay. We'll have it on the screens. And so you can follow along in that way or you can go onto version, the version app, download that, uh, and then you can go onto our services and follow along in that way. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. (laughs) And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Let's break the story down just a little bit. What's going on here? First of all, looking at verse 1, who's with Jesus? Did you know who, who's with him? Tax collectors and sinners. They're gathering around to hear Jesus. You know what I hear in this? You belong. Jesus creating a sense of belonging for tax collectors and sinners. Now, why did they separate out the tax collectors and sinners? Aren't they just all sinners? And yes, that's true, but tax collectors sin specifically. They sin specifically against Rome, against the Jewish people, and the sinners sin against God. But still, they're kind of all lumped into one group, but Luke separates them out. Either way, both of these people are considered scum by the Pharisees, by the religious people, and yet these are the ones that have encountered Jesus and still gather around to hear him. Now, on the flip side, verse 2, it talks about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, which is implying something. Say, they're saying this under their breath. They're frustrated. Why is Jesus hanging out with these people? Why, why does he hang out with them? He's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. They're frustrated because, guess what? They haven't encountered Jesus in the same way that the tax collectors and sinners have. And so they have decided what belonging looks like. They have decided who's in and who's out. So you've got these two groups of people, the Pharisees, the tax collectors and sinners, and yet all of them are hanging out with Jesus. And he begins to tell a story about a lost sheep. Now, we don't understand why this sheep is lost. We don't know what happened. We don't know if they wandered off. We don't know about this sheep. It's not necessarily a very specific fact that we have to get into. Jesus is just telling a parable to illustrate something greater. But anyway, this sheep is lost. Now, the shepherd has to go and find the sheep, and then when they do find the sheep, they lift them up and put it on their shoulders. Did you notice this? Why is that? Why can't they just take their staff and, you know, drag them along or scold them and hit them and be like, come on, now, get back to the flock. No. Picks them up, puts it on their shoulders. There's a reason for this. There's some contextual work that we can do and that we, what we understand about flocks of sheep, is that once they get separated for whatever reason, when they're completely by themselves, 
They're paralyzed in fear. They just sit down. They don't move. You can't say, here boy, here boy. You can't just like draw them in. They're just going to stay because they look at the other sheep and that's how they know to follow. But if there's no other sheep around, they don't know what to do. They're sort of paralyzed in fear. They're just frozen. They don't move. So the shepherd has to pick the sheep up and put it on its shoulders. Think about this. The shepherd is having to do all of the work. Not only does the shepherd recognize that one of their sheep is lost, but also the shepherd then has to go and seek that sheep out. And once he finds the sheep, he has to put it on his shoulders. He has to take on the burden. He removes the burden from the sheep, in fact. He doesn't scold or add shame to the sheep. He just picks it up and carries it back to the flock. This is incredibly important. And if we don't understand you belong and encounter Jesus, then this is where we get relentless pursuit of one more. Wrong. When it comes to evangelism, I used to think it was my job to get people to realize how bad of a sinner that they really were. I had to define what their sin looked like and why it was bad. I had to convince them that they better come to Jesus or else. It was all motivated out of fear. And I went on, in fact, a week-long trip after my junior, senior year of high school to downtown Chicago, and I went on the streets with other people, and I did this. I went up to people and essentially scolded them, shamed them into the gospel of Jesus, because that, 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 that's not good news. That's not gospel. There's nothing good about that, because I grew up in a youth ministry that described evangelism in this way was immature in my faith. I didn't fully understand what belonging meant, and I, I don't think I fully understood what an encounter with Jesus looked like either, and so I got this one messed up. How often do we get this one messed up because we think we've got this job to do to sort of convince people, to argue people into the kingdom of God? When in reality, we look at the story and the one who does the seeking and who does the finding also picks them up and puts them on their shoulders and bears the weight of their brokenness. See, the shepherd has some tools as a shepherd. They don't have a lot, but they have a staff, right? They can, it's got that little hook on the end. They can drag their sheep. They could strike their sheep or they also have shoulders, they could put that sheep up on their shoulders and bear the weight of the sheep. And see, here's the thing. Jesus cares about our shoulders, and he cares about those who are in leadership and positions of authority, because in another gospel, he has actually really harsh words for religious leaders in the gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 3 to 4. He says, don't do what they do talking to all of these people, describing the Pharisees. Don't do what they do. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I want to ask you a question, Life Church. When we think about sharing the gospel with our neighbors, coworkers, our friends, our family, do we think of it as us bearing the weight? putting the weight on our shoulders. 
identifying with the people that we're sharing with, identifying with them in their brokenness, empathizing with them, not scolding them and using a staff, but instead putting them on our shoulders to bring them back to the flock. See, shepherds do all of the work, the seeking, the finding, and the shouldering. But ultimately, even more important, even when we fail at this one, guess what? Jesus is the ultimate one, the ultimate shepherd who comes, who seeks us, who finds us, who lifts us up and puts us on his shoulders. He's the one that relentlessly pursues one more, just one more, over and over Again, he's the one that bears the ultimate weight of our sin and our brokenness. But now, if we choose to follow Jesus, we imitate him in our behaviors toward others. We do the same work that he does. Now this story finishes up. It doesn't just end with finding the sheep and putting it on its shoulders, but there's a purpose. There's a sense of going back back into community, back into the flock. And when he brings them back, guess what it is? Joy and elation. Come, bring, the, bring everybody with me. Let's celebrate what God has done. Let's celebrate that I have found my sheep. He does this for joy. This isn't out of duty or obligation. Remember the story that I shared at the beginning, this guy that goes the extra mile. He's not just, get off my lawn, get off my driveway. No, he goes out he creates something. He's creative. He's inventive. He creates a racetrack. This kid participates in it and experiences joy, but then other families do as well, and this guy gets to experience joy. And then because he shares the video with everybody on the internet, we all get to experience just a little taste of joy. How much more in the kingdom of God? How much more for Jesus who comes after us in the midst of our sin, our brokenness, our fractured lives? and brings us into the flock and calls the angels together to rejoice for one more, for joy. This has happened at Life Church. There's a story, and you could actually go back to the This Is Us series from last year and hear Nathan give this message about relentless pursuit of one more. He shares this story of a, of a metal chair, and it's all beaten up, and they used to start as a church plant in schools, and they would travel uh, to different places of, over time and, and set all of these chairs up, much like these chairs are set up in this room, but this metal chair was constantly set up and torn down, set up and torn down, and it was just kind of beat broken. But it was this idea that it was getting used over and over and over. And it was also this idea, the story of we would sit on the edge of our chair because we were always willing and able and ready to be excited about what we were told to do, but also to be ready to leave that chair so that we could leave space for one more. And there's always one more. Relentless pursuit of one more. There's always one more. There's a pursuit to it, and it's intentional, but this idea that there's one more makes it reachable and measurable and actionable. There's always one more. And here's the thing. We talk about one more, and we think about people, and that's absolutely the case. There's one more person. We relentlessly pursue one more person to be invited into the kingdom of God and to what God is doing, but also we can think about it in terms of one more conversation with somebody, maybe with the same person over and over, because it doesn't just happen overnight. I think about it like this. 
when I was living in Minnesota, uh, we got new neighbors across the street. They were just moving in, and so we decided to go over and introduce ourselves to them and get to know them a little bit, and they were in no way involved in any kind of church. They were in no way involved with any kind of faith. In fact, they were pretty turned off by it at one point, and so we just got to know each other a little bit more, and we were talking, and this guy liked really, really fancy beers, and so he offered me one, and i sharing a beer together, and we're talking just about life and about sports and about Minnesota and all these other things, and then eventually, after many conversations, he finally asks me, so what do you do for a job? Anyway, now, if you've ever been in ministry, sometimes there's a sense of shame associated with saying, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. Yeah, I'm a, I work at a church. There's a, a shame involved with it because we've gotten this one wrong for so long. And so people have come to be like, oh, you're, you're a pastor? Okay, well, nice knowing you. And they walk away. They want nothing to do with it. The conversation shuts down. And so I told my neighbor, I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor at a church down the road there. And I'm always afraid. I'm, I'm never sure what the response is going to be. And he says, oh, so like, like what, what does that mean? Like, so you're like a priest? Like, what do you actually do with your job? He kind of explains some things, and then he interrupts me, and he's like, wait, wait, wait. So you're a pastor. How come you're normal? <laughs> Uh, thanks, I don't, I don't know. I, and, and you're drinking beer, you know, like it was just, he couldn't fathom what this was all about. He just assumed out of all of the images that he's had of pastors and Christians and people who work at churches, that there's a certain stigma, that there's a sense that I'm going to beat him over the head with a Bible. He says, you're normal. And so we continued to chat, we continued to build a relationship together and he was a younger dad. My kids were a little bit older than his kids, and he would come over, and I would go over to his house, and we would share all these different stories with one another, and sometimes we'd talk about faith, and sometimes we wouldn't, and sometimes he would ask me questions about my faith and about our church and the kinds of things that I do, and then he would begin to recognize things in me, like, you seem like, I don't know, you seem like you're a good dad. You seem like you don't get flustered too much by your kids. You seem like you have it all together in your marriage. And then I was able to tell him the truth. No, but we talked about vulnerable things and hard things. And he just continued to let me into his life. Now, here's the thing. I shared a moment ago of when I was in high school. And I thought it was my job to call out everybody's sins and to talk about which sins were worse than the others. Until eventually God worked in my life to mature me and grow me over time in humility, hopefully, and I still have a long way to go. But then to be able to be in a relationship with a neighbor who has no knowledge of God or the church and calls me normal, feels comfortable that he can hang out with me, he can share his life with me, he can be vulnerable with me. And fast forward to a couple of years later, and after we had gotten to know each other better, he'd never come to our church. I'd invited him a couple different times, but he never felt comfortable coming. And finally, on the last day that I preached before moving here to Canton, he decided to show up. It was a big church, an auditorium that seats 2,500 people, and he's sitting right there in the front row. And as I finish up my sermon, I'm looking over, and he's just got tears in his eyes. I don't know if that was a moment where he encountered Jesus, where he felt a sense of belonging, but he must have had he decided to come 
since he decided to come and to be part of that. We said our goodbyes, I moved here, but we have still remained in contact, just encouraging one another. He has questions about life sometimes, and sometimes he has questions about just random things, about how to take care of a lawn, (laughs) all kinds of things, but he feels safe with me. That's not me. That's nothing I did. That's God who has pursued me and has taught me by his Spirit how to relentlessly pursue one more, how to have one more conversation. What about you? How many times have you felt like, I'm just done. I don't want to go after that person anymore. How many times should I talk with my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus? One more. How many times should I show my son love even though he's walked away from the faith? One more time. How many times should I continue to invest in my marriage when it just seems like it's broken? How many times should I pursue God's love in my marriage? One more time. Always one more. Because why? Because they're people, not projects. They're people. And God goes after people. So we imitate Jesus. And we go after people. Let me ask you a question. Would your neighbor know that you are a follower of Jesus? And the kind of Jesus that Daniel talked about last week. If you didn't get a chance to go and listen to that sermon, please do so. I want to turn the coin here and talk about whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. This one can probably be really easy to understand, actually, uh, specifically in a pandemic, uh, because all of our lives had to adjust. We've all had to adjust how things look, what we wear, how we go out in public. Everybody has been inconvenienced. Absolutely, we have. And This one captures that more than anything else. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, is that we are inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel, to serve others. Our whole world is making adjustments. We as a church have had to make adjustments and to reinvent what church actually looks like. But I want to ground this in Scripture, and so I want to talk about Paul, who is a follower of Jesus. After the death and resurrection of Jesus, he becomes a servant missionary to the Gentiles, to the people who are essentially far from God, who were not the chosen Jewish people of God, but they're on the outside. And so Paul does whatever it takes, wherever it takes him. It says this in 1 Corinthians, it says, To the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. What is going on here? There's some very bold, risky language here. 
And, and you might notice there's a little bit of carryover from relentless pursuit of one more, this idea of sharing the gospel. But again, it's two sides of the same coin. And what I want to draw our attention to is this intentionality of Paul's effort, the lengths that he's willing to go to in order to express the gospel, to share the gospel, to live out the gospel for those who are seemingly far from God, who don't know their sense of belonging, who and who've not yet encountered Jesus. Now, let's talk about Paul and what he's doing. Is he, is he just being hypocritical here? Is he just being who everybody wants him to be? No. No, he's meeting them in their context. He's getting at their level. He's not changing who he is. He's not compromising his inner being, his identity. No, he's coming at a level. He's inconveniencing himself for the sake of the gospel. I've read so many beautiful stories of missionaries international missionaries in some cases, and even domestic ones, who will commit to spending a year, two years, maybe even longer, to go into another culture that they're not familiar with. They learn their language, they eat their food, they take on some of their customs, they live like those people live, and they serve whatever needs they might have before even once speaking about Jesus. They adopt a different kind of lifestyle without compromising their following of Jesus. They're willing to do whatever it takes and to go wherever it takes them. See, it's not just about those who might not know Jesus, that's certainly a part of it, but also it's about serving within the body of Christ and being activated in the kingdom of God. We're inconvenienced for one another. You're wearing a mask to be together in church. That feels weird. But yet we come together because there's something about being together and being in community. We do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. We go digital so that other people who don't feel comfortable coming yet or can't come yet are able to experience togetherness in the gospel. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us is an inconvenience. I'll share just a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago, so David has been leading us in worship today. Uh, David and I actually know each other. We worked at a church together years ago in student ministries and had a blast. And so I already know David just a little bit. And so it's been fun to have him come and rejoin us and us get to do ministry together. But just a couple weeks ago, David decided uh, to accept the job to come here and to come out here before his family did. And so he packed up all of his valuable stuff in the back of his vans, uh, in the back of his van, including his two dogs, and made the long trek. Uh, uh, from Minnesota to here to go through Chicago traffic to get here. He got all the way to Watervliet, Michigan. How many of you have heard of Watervliet, Michigan? Okay, three people, four people are raising their hands. Watervliet is not a tourist destination. I'm just going to let you know that. But anyway, he got all the way to Watervliet, Michigan, which is about two and a half hours west of here at 1030 at night. And he had been driving all day. And he's got a whole lot of valuable equipment in his van. And he calls me up and he says, I cannot get my van to start. I've tried everything. Uh, I've even had somebody try to jump it. It's not working. I can't get it to go. We get on the phone with somebody who knows a little bit about cars. And they're trying to give us some tips. We try all of those tips. Nothing is working. And he's exhausted. And he's stressed out. And he's got his two dogs in the back of the van. And all of his valuables. And he calls me up and he says, I think I need you to come get me. (laughs) 
okay, I can do that. Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, right? So I decide, okay, we're going to just go pick up David. I don't know what the plan is from there, but I'm actually just going to go and be with him and we'll figure out a plan on the way there. Well, my wife is like, no, you're not going to go alone, so you need a co-pilot. So she texts Nathan, our lead pastor, and says, yeah, Jared's going to need some help. So Nathan's like, well, I was going to bed, but now I'm not. So uh, we decide to make a giant cup of coffee. I go pick up Nathan, and I took a picture to document the moment. I want to show you this picture of us. I don't know why we made faces like that, but probably because we felt a little bit like, <laughs> whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, even to Watervliet, Michigan. We kept pronouncing it water valet, but I think we were so tired that we didn't see the order of the letters in the word. It's actually pronounced Watervliet, in case you ever need to know this. Uh, we get in the van at about 11 o'clock midnight maybe and start our trek, our two and a half hour trek to Watervliet, Michigan. We get there David's super stressed out. We get there at about 3, 3 in the morning, and we decide to move all of his stuff from his van to my van, including his dogs. And we vacillate between what we should do and if David should come with us or if he should stay with the van, because I don't know if it's going to go to the impound or what's going to happen. Ultimately, he decides to stay with the van, and we take all of his stuff and go back to Michigan, or sorry, go back to Canton. We get back to Canton at about 5.30 or 6 in the morning, after zero sleep, uh, Nathan at one point is just speaking nonverbal nonsense to try to keep me awake. I don't know if he remembers all the things that he said to me. Um, I'll text those out later. Anyway, we get back, I'm exhausted, and we sleep pretty much the rest of the day. Later, David doesn't sleep. Maybe for 20 minutes he closes his eyes and then he's underneath the awning of a gas station and those bright lights come on and it's, zzz, you know, the sound of the fluorescent lights. He's wide awake now. And, uh, and then he gets a knock by the police on his door and he's like, you got to move your car. Obviously, I understand that. And so eventually a tow truck comes, gets him to Kalamazoo. The guy in the service department of this place says, yeah, we're not going to be able to fix it for three weeks. David just has this look of death in his eyes, and the guy's like, oh, maybe we can make an exception for you, um, and gets it in, fixes it in like three hours. David's on maybe 15, 20 minutes of sleep. It gets fixed. He gets in the car. He gets to Canton just in time for dinner. <laughs> Whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. It takes something from us to serve one another, to go that extra mile, and it costs us something but we do it anyway. We do it because Christ does this for us. He goes the extra mile and it always takes something from us. We lose something in the process. We lose sleep. We lose money. We lose miles on my car and all the you know, destruction that comes with riding on Michigan roads. It takes sitting and a service department for three hours on zero sleep, all to be part of a ministry to share the gospel. We do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Somebody in this church has moved out of their house so David and his family can live in their house until they can get their house. Do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us. Somebody, me, 
is taking their dogs even. Now, that's not hard. Uh, we love dogs. We're dog people. So we get to house their dogs uh, for a length of period, a period of time until they get in their house. Not an issue for us. Now, I should say, though, that somebody is taking their cat until they can live. Now, that is suffering for the gospel. That is going the extra mile uh, because we all know about cats, right? I'm kidding. I just... All the cat owners, you, you still belong. I just want to make that clear. We do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, because we serve the needs of other people out of duty, out of obligation? No. No. Out of our joy. Because why? Because Jesus is our standard, and we imitate him. He sets the standard. We serve, we volunteer, we give we're inconvenienced because Jesus sets the standard. And what is that standard? Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, he endures the cross. He scorns its shame or despises its shame. He takes this tool that was used for shame and he turns it around for good and he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we get to participate in this. This is what Christ has called us into. So I have one final question for you, which is also our action steps. Two questions. Who needs to hear good news from you? Who's the one that needs to hear good news from you? And where are you going to volunteer to serve the body? We're at a coin shortage right now, but this is a very valuable coin. It's time to spend this coin. It's time to spend it, to give it away, to invest in the kingdom of God. Who needs to hear good news from you? And where are you gonna volunteer? See, we believe everybody, whether it's your first time here, your second time here, or your millionth time here, every one of you has a next step. Every one of you has a next step. We want you to be part of this. We want you to relentlessly pursue one more. We want you to do whatever it takes, wherever it takes us, so that others can know that they belong and others can encounter Jesus. Where are you going to volunteer? I don't want you to miss this moment. You can sign up right now on the Now page to volunteer somewhere, to serve the body of Christ, to serve in the kingdom of God, to do whatever it takes and to go wherever it takes us. We have had to reinvent what church looks like. So we're utilizing people who have all different kinds of gifts and abilities to offer. All of you have something to give, something to share so that one more person can know Jesus. You know, we've also made it a habit. It's been a part of our uniqueness as a church to relentlessly pursue one more is we have always taken an opportunity at the end of every message to share Jesus, to invite anybody who doesn't know Jesus, anybody who feels like that sheep that is paralyzed in fear and brokenness, who feels lost, we have shared with you Jesus so that you can be brought back into community, brought back into the flock. If you're in this room or watching online or listening later, 
if you feel far from Jesus, you feel lost, you feel like you don't know him, we want to pursue you. We want to share good news with you. We want to share hope with you. We want you to encounter Jesus to say that you belong. And if that's you, you might pray something like this. God, I feel lost. I feel broken. Every experience I've had with a Christian or a church has felt like shame and scolding. When I see you, ultimately you come after me with love and grace. You find me in my shame. You find me in my brokenness. And you carry me on your shoulders. And so today I choose to commit my life to you. I choose to follow you. God, I pray for those in this room and those watching online that have had that encounter with you, that feel a sense of belonging, but now need that step to go and do the same, to make others feel like they belong, to make others to give them the, other, the opportunity to encounter you. God, would you compel us by your Holy Spirit to relentlessly pursue one more, one more person, one more conversation, to do whatever it takes and to go wherever it takes us, to serve the needs of those who need to be part of the kingdom of God.